Good morning. What a pleasure it is to be here this morning. I've talked to a number of people who keep saying, Jack, why are you preaching at other churches? Preaching at other churches because they ask for help, but you are my people. So make that clear. I love you all very much. I'm thankful for this church. Uh, this morning I'll be finishing my series in Jonah that I began last July, I believe. And you'll find it ends abruptly and unexpectedly. All this time, I've been saying that Jonah and God's characters are at odds in this story. And that'll become very evident as we read our passage this morning. Please, if you will, open in your Bibles to Jonah chapter 4. You'll also find the words printed in your bulletin. Jonah chapter 4. I'll be reading the whole chapter. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, referring to the salvation of Nineveh. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God, and a merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster." Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I, should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also, also much cattle. This is the word of God. Most of you most have probably heard of the famous parable of the prodigal son that Jesus tells in his ministry. It's a, a famous story. You know, there's two sons, an older and a younger, of a rich, wealthy man. And the younger son wants his dad to go up and die so that he can get his inheritance. And so he comes up to him and says, Father, I want my inheritance. And the merciful father gives the younger son the money, and he goes off into a distant country and squanders his money and all of the rich living that he wants. But eventually, his money runs out. He finds himself poor. He has nothing. And in order to make ends meet, he takes care of someone's pigs and wishes to even eat the slop that the pigs feed themselves on. And he comes to his senses one day. 
And he says, a servant in my dad's house is living better than I am now. I'll go back and plead my father's mercy that he'll take me as a servant. And you know the story. He comes back, and while he was still far off, the father leaps up and runs to him and says, this son of mine was dead, and now he's alive. He was lost, and now he's found. The part of the story that we often forget is how the older brother responds. The older brother comes in from the field from a hard day's of work, and he notices there's a party going on in the tent. And he asks one of the fellow servants, what's going on? And he's told that his younger brother, the brother who despised his dad, has come home. And how does the older brother respond? He's sullen. He's distraught. He's angry. He refuses to go in. The father has to come out. And he says, is it not right for me to rejoice over my son that's come home? Jonah right here is this older brother. Jonah is this older brother. Jonah should have rejoiced at the salvation of Nineveh. He should have been glad at the mercy that God was showing. Instead, he is in despair at God's kindness. Here is a man who I firmly believe was a believer. I think Jonah was a Christian, a child of God, but his heart shows that he misunderstood the very grace that he claimed to have. So for some of you this morning, this will be a message of salvation, I hope. That like that younger son, you might come to realize the limitless benevolence and kindness of our Heavenly Father. It took the younger brother much wandering to realize that. But for some of you, this is a message of warning. Your heart is like Jonah's or like the older brother. You have God's mercy, but you don't like it seen being shown to other people. And for all of us, it is my hope that we would treasure the grace that we have in Jesus Christ more this morning. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Father, I thank you that the stories of your saints in the scriptures are not sugar-coated. You show us the good, the bad, and the ugly. And Father, as we examine Jonah and his wretched response to this beautiful event, I pray that we would examine our own hearts. May we repent of what we need to repent of. And I pray that all of us with renewed joy would learn to treasure and marvel at the wonderful grace of Jesus. And I pray this all in his name. Amen. So to recap this story, in case you've missed my past sermons, Jonah in the beginning, God told him to go to Nineveh, and he said no. He ran away. We don't really know why at the beginning. And then he gets into a boat, and a storm comes, and you know, he's thrown overboard, and a whale swallows him, and he prays to God for salvation from the whale. And eventually, after some discipline, he goes back to what he was meant to do, and he preaches to Nineveh, and the entire city repents. Oh, that the world would respond to preaching the way that Nineveh does right here. An entire city, even the king, gets on their knees and says, God, show us mercy. Just to reread the last verse of chapter 3 so we can understand what's going on. When God saw what they did, how Nineveh turned from their evil way, the whole city, God relented 
of the disaster that he said he would do to them. Wow. If this response, this mercy that God shows doesn't strike your heart, not much of this sermon's going to make sense. That's an amazing thing that the Lord just did. So as we walk through our passage this morning, it's neatly broken up into two sections, two different dialogues. There's a first dialogue of exchange between Jonah and God, and there's a second one. But what I want you all to keep count with is that in each of these dialogues, we are going to learn two truths about Jonah and two truths about God. So a total of four truths each, because there's a lot here. So keep count. So let's look at this first dialogue here. Let me read verse 1 for us. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. So as this chapter begins, assuming the 40 days have gone up, the 40 days have ended, and Nineveh has not been overthrown, and everyone there realizes God has shown mercy to us. We weren't destroyed. There was probably a lot of partying going on, a lot of thanksgiving. And Jonah witnessed all of this. And what does he say? How does he respond? Literally, this was evil to Jonah. A great evil. How on earth could something so miraculous, so wonderful, cause a child of God to be angry? Which guides us to our first truth about Jonah. Our first truth. Jonah cherished God's mercy for himself, but hated to see it given to others. Jonah cherished God's mercy for himself, but hated to see it given to others. And in the parable of the prodigal son, this is exactly what happened to the older brother. He loved his position in the father's kindness, and yet when his younger brother came home and was welcomed back into that kindness, it says he was angry. Friends, this is the first step we will see that although Jonah is a child of God, he is deeply sick. He is deeply sinful and needs help. And, and although I don't think many of us, or any of us, have ever been in Jonah's precise situation, we're not too far off from him at times. How often is it that when you or I witness some amazing spiritual work, that our first response is selfishness? Perhaps your spouse or your friends ask, or your good friend asks you for forgiveness again for that particular issue that they struggle with. And your first reaction of your heart is, again? That's a miracle that they ask for forgiveness. Or perhaps the Lord gives someone that you know the very gift that you always wanted. And what happens in your heart? The envy. Perhaps you know a Christian who's really struggling with a particular sin and you get together with them and you're like, get over it, move on. And you forget those many years that you struggled with your own sin in your youth. When we do this, are we not acting like Jonah in our hearts? Being angered by a beautiful act of God. Which guides us to our very first point about the nature of God. God delights to show mercy to the humble. Our God delights to show mercy to the humble. God was not reluctant to save Nineveh. It was his good pleasure. It was his delight. 1 Peter 5, 5 says this, God 
opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Matthew 5, 5 in the Beatitudes, Jesus says this, Blessed are the meek, for theirs, for, sorry, for they shall inherit the earth. And just look a little bit ahead in these verses, in verse 2, how Jonah describes the character of God, which is straight out of Exodus 34, when Moses is talking to the Lord. Jonah's theology is perfect. <laughs> he knows God's character to the T. And he calls God gracious, a merciful God, slow to anger, rich in steadfast love, who loves to relent from disaster. God does not reluctantly do these things because he has to show mercy. Mercy is intrinsic to the very character of God. A God who only gives justice is not the God of the Bible. Paul even calls the God the Father of mercies in the beginning of 2 Corinthians. The Father of mercies. And what we just sang in our Psalter, it compares the pity that a father has on his child to the way that our Heavenly Father views his children. And this is something we should believe in firmly. If Nineveh can be saved, never doubt that God is ready and willing to show you mercy through Christ. Never doubt that. So let's return to this first dialogue and see what happens next. I'm beginning in verse 2. And Jonah prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah finally confesses why he didn't go to Nineveh in the beginning. He finally confesses. Was it because he was scared of the Ninevites? No. Was he because he knows God is just and he might destroy this whole city in a moment? No. He didn't want to go because God was good. Do you realize the tension in that? It's like as if Jonah was saying, Father, I know you are kind. And if I go, you might show kindness to these people. So I don't want to go. Once again, we see that Jonah's eyes were evil simply because gods were good. I've, I've seen this, uh, I, as I was thinking back to my childhood, I remember seeing this scene play out in my big family. And I'm curious if anyone else from big families can relate to this. Sometimes my parents, being loving parents, if they noticed one of us was doing particularly well in something, say school or a sport or a character development, they would point it out. Like, hey Ben, good job at doing this. And then the younger ones of us would rise up and be like, well, well aren't we doing a good job too? What, ab what about me? The very fact that my parents were praising someone besides me made me angry. And it happened with all of us siblings when I look back on it. Simply because goodness was being displayed to someone else, it made me upset. It makes no sense. This is what sin can do in our hearts. Similarly, Jonah was thinking probably this way. 
Me and my people, the Jews, have labored hard and long for hundreds of years to bring you glory, God. And you're telling me that if I go there, this people is going to get your love in a moment? No way. I'll go the other direction. This is a wicked line of thinking. It's a wicked line of thinking. And I'm going to come back to this point many times. This book is a warning for those of us in the church. Jonah grew up worshiping God every Sunday. Sorry, every Sabbath. Jonah grew up with the word of the Lord surrounding him. And yet he was the person who despised God's character the most. May, may we take that to heart. Some of you have grown up in church your whole life. And in many ways, you're the type of person most in danger to take God's love for granted. Which brings us to our second truth about Jonah. Jonah preferred death rather than life. Jonah preferred death rather than life. Jonah just couldn't imagine living in a world where both mercy and justice had to exist. And notice how Jonah ends his prayer. This is what he says. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. It's as if he was saying, better to stop living than to live in a world where people like the Ninevites get your love. A book I read in high school um, was by Victor Hugo called Les Miserables. I think I pronounced that right. Great. It's a wonderful story, um, and it's got a musical based off of it. And the story of this book centers around, really, how two characters interact with mercy. So you have this main character, Jean Valjean, who's a convict. And he escapes from his, um, from his parole at one point, and he gets caught by a priest. And, this, and he actually steals from this priest. And in a moment, this priest decides to show him mercy and doesn't turn him in. And that changes Jean Valjean's life. That little show of mercy, he wrestles in his heart and decides, I've got to be a man of mercy. I've got to be a man of God. But what's the most interesting part of the story is there's this police officer that's been hunting him down for all of Jean Valjean's life named Javert. Javert is a man of legalism. The law says, don't do it, so don't do it. You are a criminal, so you go to jail. And yet at the very end of the story, Jean Valjean finds himself in a place where he could kill Javert, take him out with no repercussions, and he lets him go. Jean Valjean does the same thing that the priest does for him. But the difference is, Javert can't live with that. He can't live in a world where there's both justice and mercy, and he ends up jumping into a river and ending his life. It's a very sobering tale of what this strict, legalistic, I get what I deserve and nothing more mindset can do to a heart. And this is where Jonah's at. Deeply sick. If this is the kind of world that I live in, I'd rather not live in it, says Jonah. This is utter foolishness. In his anger, Jonah wants to escape the very merciful God who saved him from the whale just a chapter before. Such a different prayer than he prayed then. At the end of his prayer in the whale, Jonah said, God's salvation belongs to you. Thank you for giving it to me. And he so quickly turns so soon. 
And I urge you all, beware of this mindset. It is the kindness and the justice of God that saved you. You should rejoice when you see it shown to others. One beautiful thing about Moses' interactions with God in Exodus, you know, the people build this golden calf. They do this terrible thing. And Moses goes up on the mountain to intercede for them. And in Exodus chapter 33, he says, God, show me your glory. Do you remember what the first thing God says to him? He says, I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. It's the first thing God says. God's freedom to give mercy whom he gives it to is a part of him being God. It's incredible. Which leads us to our second truth about the Lord right here. God responds gently to Jonah. God responds gently to Jonah. In the end, anyone's desire to end their own life is completely irrational. Because... Like Jonah, they're shaking their fist at God and saying, you put me here. But at the same time, notice how God responds to him. The Lord doesn't appear and say, Jonah, here's our seven reasons why you're wrong. He simply asks a question. He says, do you do well to be angry? Do you do well to be angry? God is getting at the heart of the issue, his anger. He doesn't even, he doesn't even deal with a request. That doesn't matter. He's getting to the heart of Jonah's reasoning. And for Christians, this is a question that you and I must ask ourselves whenever great emotions overwhelm us or come over us. We need to ask ourselves, do I do, do, I do well to be angry right now? Do I do well to be lustful or envious or selfish or prideful or discouraged? A simple question can go a long way. I love the way God just gently deals with him. Do you do well to be angry? I, I actually, when I was working with RUF, there was a time where I spent a lot of time with a student who had massive suicidal tendencies. One of the most humbling things I've ever done. And I bring this up because I see it somewhat in the text. And we live in a world where this is brought up a lot. And I think by the Lord's grace, he gave me the words to say when I needed it. And I sought a lot of wisdom from people. But I remember asking questions like this. Like, everything you've just told me, is that right? Is, are these true things about God that you're thinking? Do you really think this will make things better? I was glad for those questions because I think it helped him work through the inconsistencies that were going on in his brain. And I don't know everything about how to deal with this subject, but I can encourage you to deal gently, but with hard questions in situations like that. Because we live in a world that can almost idolize suicidal tendencies at times. And that needs to be dealt with. It needs to be dealt with. Because precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. We should trust him, not only with when our life begins, but trust him for when our life ends. We now move into the second dialogue of this passage. The second dialogue, which is verses 5 through 11. I'll read the first four verses of that real quick. 
Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come over Jonah that he, it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a scorching east wind. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. So in response to this dialogue, Jonah doesn't answer. He just kind of runs off in a pity party in a huff outside of the city. Just like the older brother. There's probably shouts of joy of the city right now. And Jonah, he doesn't want to have any part with that. So he goes out of the city. And the reason he leaves is because he's still thinking that God might smite them. And he wants to be far away. And he builds himself a little booth so he can be comfortable. But it's still pretty toasty out there. And here's, at this point, God still doesn't abandon Jonah. And that should amaze us as we keep reading this. To be honest, I would have abandoned Jonah at this point, <laughs> just to be frank. So God acts again, and he sends this plant, which springs up to cover Jonah from the sun. We don't really know what type of plant this was. Clearly, it was something miraculous because it sprang up so quickly, and it provided enough shade to cover a full-grown man from the sun. And just as a, a side little Theological point, this is the same word that's used throughout this whole book to discuss God's sovereignty. God appointed the whale. God appointed the plant. He's about to appoint a worm, and then he's going to appoint an east wind. There is nothing outside of God's sovereign sphere of control. Something as large as a whale to something as small as a worm. Keep that in mind. So why does God do this? In his pity party, why does God try to make jo Jonah more comfortable? It was a hot day. I like shade. My wife and I love going on walks, but guess what? We don't like going on walks on a summer's day. <laughs> we wait until the evening because it can get toasty up here in the summer. But look at how Jonah responds. God gave this plant for a purpose, and look at how he responds. It says... He was exceedingly glad. Literally, he rejoiced with great joy. Which brings us to our third truth about Jonah. Third truth about Jonah. Jonah had disordered desires. Jonah had disordered desires. It is no sin to draw joy and delight from God's blessings, like good food or shade on a hot day or the gifts of life. Those things become sin when they are given an undue weight. Things like video games or your time on social media or creature comforts, sports, strength, health, these are all blessings from God. But the question is, how do you enjoy them? Is it like Jonah? Do they bring you such exceeding joy that the loss of them breaks you? Do you take more joy from your creaturely comforts than you do in worshiping God in church on Sundays? 
Do you find more joy when others are served or when you are served? These are good questions to ask yourself. Jonah's disordered desires come to light right here because God takes away the very thing that he gave. He takes it away. Overnight, God appoints a worm, and it, this worm was doing some work. Killed this whole, this whole vine, this whole plant in one night. And then the hot wind and the scorching sun is back on Jonah. And how does he respond? Once again, he's back where he started. He wants to die. Here lies Jonah's fault. He too greatly clung to the pleasures of this life. And he too greatly mourned their loss. I've seen this work out in my own life as well. When I was growing up, me and my siblings did swim team down in Charleston. There's tons of swim teams. And I was the least gifted of my siblings, naturally. And to be co completely honest, young Jack prayed for and wanted nothing less than to be as good of a swimmer as his siblings. And one year, God gave that to me. When I was 14, I made it in a slot in the city meet, and I did great, and I did better than a lot of my siblings that year. And boy, did I love it. <laughs> but guess what? The next season came around, and the very stroke and event that I was good at, I, I never once beat that time. I have, still to this day, I don't know. It just went away. That was humbling. God gave me something that I craved, and boy, did I love it when I had it. And it almost wrecked me when I lost it. Has that ever happened to you in your life? Perhaps the Lord has given you a skill or a talent that an accident or a turn of events has changed or taken away. Maybe there was a friend that, the, that you had in a season of life that was precious to you and then circumstances changed that. Perhaps your health was something that you praised when you had it and you mourn too greatly when it's gone. We all as Christians must seek to respond like Job. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So Jonah's character was being shown forth by how he clung to this plant and wept when it was gone. Which also brings us to our third truth about God. God gently disciplines his children. God gently disciplines his children. The Lord could have left Jonah in the dust right here, but he didn't. He also could have come to Jonah in a, in a rage and proved to him why he was wrong, but he didn't. God made this plant for a purpose. He wanted Jonah to get into a corner, to have to go face to face with his sin and confront it. So he gave the plant and then took it away. There's actually a lot of similarity in how the Lord deals with Jonah here with how the prophet Nathan dealt with David. Do you remember with David, he committed adultery with one of his best friend's wives and then killed his best friend. Not good. And he didn't confess his sin for a good while. And the prophet Nathan knows what's going on. And when he comes in, he doesn't come in guns blazing because he knows that would harden David's heart. He also doesn't avoid it. So Nathan comes in and he tells a story. He says, there was a man who was rich and had many sheep. And there was a man who was poor and had one sheep. The rich man had a guest, and instead of using one of his many sheep, he took the poor man's sheep, 
killed it and fed it to his guest. And David gets all angry and he says, that man is wicked. He deserves punishment. And Nathan looks at him and says, you are that man. You are that man. God's ways are marvelous. Sometimes a direct rebuke is needed, but sometimes this creative discipline, which makes you have to deal with your sin, is what's needed. God is orchestrating this grand case against Jonah because he loves him. Just as Hebrews 12 says, do not despise the discipline of the Lord, for the Lord disciplines the children he loves. Sometimes if God takes away the very thing you crave, that's the most loving thing he could do. Jonah was exceedingly joyful at the shade he was given. He should have been exceedingly joyful at the salvation of sinners. Jonah was excessively saddened to see this plant wither. He should have been saddened at the thought of an entire city being destroyed. I don't usually read the Bible this way, but it fits so well. What is your plant? <laughs> what is the thing in your life that you greatly rejoice over? Do you rejoice over it too much? Is that the joy that you bring to being a child of the living God? What is the thing in your life that you would be destroyed if it was taken away? Like Jonah, we so often needs God, need God's gentle discipline. And I think it's wise for Christians to think through this in your minds. Think of the things in your life. What if God gave you the very thing that you desired? Would you praise him and thank him for it? Or would you forget about him the next week? On the other side, think of the thing that you love the most. What if God took it away from you? Would you come to church singing his praises the same way that week? Like Job, we should say in our hearts, God, though you slay me, yet I will praise you. God, my trust is so deeply and utterly rooted in you that though I were given everything in this world, I would view it as not for the sake of knowing Christ. God, you are my greatest treasure and I will sing your praises because I have all things in you. Let me read the last two verses of this chapter. And the Lord said to Jonah, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. So the Lord is saying here that Jonah had a genuine pity, kind of sorrow, compassion upon this plant, and yet it makes no sense. The plant came in a moment and was gone in the moment. Like the dew that covers your lawn in the morning that's gone by 8 a.m., Jonah was crying over it. God does not so much rebuke Jonah for caring at all as much as he's correcting Jonah's disordered desires. Because if there is some pity to be had on a nice little plant that gives you shade, there should be far more pity to be had on human beings. It's as if God was saying this, Jonah, you had pity on something that gave you genuine joy for a day, 
that you didn't make and that doesn't have breath and doesn't have a soul, how much should I, the Lord, care for humans who have bodies and souls and will live forever? And we are meant to respond with this, yes, God, it is right for you to be this way. And Nineveh is a place with a lot of human beings. Notice what it says, 120,000 persons. God is trying to get Jonah to realize, do you realize how crazy you are right now? A potted plant is not worth as much as 100,000 people. And notice how far God's compassion goes. The last words of this book actually are the phrases in your English Bible. And also much cattle. God ends this book with saying, should I not have pity on a lot of people and their cows? Why does he say this? Why does he mention pity on cows in the same sentence of pity on humans? First of all, I think the Lord says this to show, out, to show the absurdity of Jonah's perspective. Because even if there is some pity to have for your favorite succulent, there's a bit more pity to be had for someone's uh, pet. And God does have a natural love for all of his creation. He owns the cattle in a thousand hills, as Psalm 50 says. And in the ark, remember, there weren't just people in the ark. There were animals too. God loved his creation. But why does he mention the cows here? <laughs> it's a really good question to ask. I believe God pities those cows because they belong to the people that he pities. Those cattle were someone's livelihood. And in a world that so, is so desperately astray on many things, we need to hear this true balance. As stewards of creation, we should care for all life to some extent. And yet, that care for life and creation should not come anywhere close to the care that we have for God's crowning creation. Humans. The redemption promised in the cross was not given to cows. It was not given to plants. It wasn't even given to angels. It was given to us, promised to humans. And that, trust me, this is something that can throw churches off. I remember I was going on a walk with Sarah and her family in Vermont around all these churches in the downtown area. And there was one church that had on their big placard that they were having a dedication service to animals and pets because God is saving the earth for us and them. And I was thrown off. <laughs> what a waste of a service. You don't need to hear how much God loves your pet. You need to hear how much God loves you. So I believe that the Lord's mentioning of the cattle here is a prod, no pun intended, upon Jonah, as well as showing how much he does care for the Ninevites. Our concluding applications will come to the last two points of Jonah and of God. So here's the last point about Jonah. Jonah was a merciless child of God. Jonah was a merciless child of God. I believe Jonah's prayer in the second chapter of salvation was a true one. I also believe he is desperately sick and needs to be corrected. The older brother was still the son of the father in that parable. But he needed to be corrected. 
as Dr. Campbell read in our confession of sin, the law of God is merciless to the one who shows no mercy. I've met many people in my life who have this very box-centered theology of I do everything right, which is why subconsciously God is pleased with me. And they forget that that same law that they're trying to fall to a t- follow to a T has built into it provisions that you're going to fall short. The same law of Moses had sacrifices for when they fell short. And that same law of Moses commanded that they show mercy to other people. All throughout the the Bible, the people who are in the most danger of cheapening God's grace are those who are the most acquainted with it. And I'm saying this to myself as well. And Jonah's life is almost a parable for the Jewish nation, right? The Jewish nation had the oracles of God for thousands of years, and then their Messiah came and they rejected him. What if Jesus were like Jonah? What if Jesus were like Jonah? What if when faced with the suffering of this dying world, Jesus decided to just pass you by? What if Jesus decided that the glories and the pleasures of all of the heavenly hosts singing his name was way better than a cross? Jonah would rather die than see the Ninevites get mercy. Jesus would rather die than see his people not get mercy. Jonah was grieved to the point of death because the sun was on his head for too long. Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane, grieved to the point of death at the thought of what he had to go through to save your soul. The last point about God. God showed wonderful mercy to Jonah. I believe the most amazing point of this book is not his mercy to the sailors. It's not his mercy to Nineveh. It's the mercy that God continually shows to the hard-hearted Jonah. And interestingly, the book doesn't end. It doesn't tell us what happens to Jonah. It just ends with this question. We have no idea what happened to him. It's my hope that he went out to write this book that his perspective was changed. But we don't know. Your story isn't finished yet. Your story isn't finished yet. A God who is so rich in grace and patience towards Jonah can also be rich in patience and love towards you. I urge you, believe in Jesus. He is a better prophet than Jonah. He will preach both condemnation to you and show you mercy. Cling to Jesus. Come to him. Bring him your sin in exchange for his forgiveness. Trust that everything he did on the cross was for you. And endeavor in your life to show that mercy to others. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Father, your word has such a profound ability to humble the prideful, And exalt the humble. And I pray that that would happen this moment in the hearts of everyone here. May those who are so lowly in their minds that they think they could never have God's grace be encouraged by your rich love. And Father, I also pray that those who like Jonah, who have hard hearts towards someone, 
would be softened and come in and enjoy your character. And I pray this all in the name of Christ. Amen.